lots of fond memories for the, the work that God is doing through Adam. He, uh, we actually met like more than 25 years ago when I was an associate here, and he was a single guy and working at UF. He is a gator, uh, so you can either love him for that or you can support him because the Bible says, bless your enemies. <laughs> so either way, that works. Now, uh, he, was, he really learned ministry uh, at the University of Florida and was single at that time, but then met his wife, and they've been in Spain now for a, a number of years for the sake of the gospel and planting churches. So if you're new, new to CFC, uh, I hope you've really captured the fact that we want to be an instrument of God, not only for impacting this community, but... We want to be a church that is partnering with what God is doing to the ends of the earth. And so we have what we call commended missionaries, folks who have been a part of this body, whom God has raised up and then sent out. And it's our privilege to, as the Bible says, how can they go unless they are sent? So it's our privilege to be senders with them. Here at the chapel, we have what we call sender teams, so that we're not just operating individually, but we are pulling our resources together for not only financially help them, but to support them, to encourage them. So out in our courtyard this morning, uh, the sending team as a table, since the Marines are in Spain, the sending team is out there. And if you'd like to find out how you might be a part of what God is doing there, you could... Uh, stop by that table, or you can simply reach out to Dom specifically there through his contact. But here, most of all, it's our privilege to be a part of what God is doing in Jacksonville and to the ends of the earth. All right, if you would, now grab your Bible and turn with me. The first passage we're going to look at is in Hebrews 13. Uh, we're going to look at four specific, well, a few more than that, but four key passages in the New Testament as we look at what it means to mature as a Christ follower. Now, let me set some broad context again in case you've missed the big picture, you've lost sight of the big picture. Uh, this whole year, 23 through 2024, we've been looking at this journey of being a disciple of Jesus. And this journey begins with all of us, when we were physically born, we were spiritually dead. So all of us were dead in our sins until, by God's grace, through the work of his spirit, he opened our eyes to the truth that we needed a savior because we could not save ourselves. Our works would never be good enough but that he had sent his son, Jesus, to take the penalty on our behalf so that by faith in him, we could go from dead in our sin to alive in Jesus, becoming a Christ follower. In the, the objects we use here at the chapel to move from a coffin, dead in our sin, to a crib, an infant in Christ. And now as a new person in Christ, we've been looking at what it means to mature as a Christ follower, to grow up into the measure, here's what the, the scripture calls it, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So that all that Christ is, because I'm in him and he's in me, that the life of Jesus would be made manifest in my mortal flesh. So practically, a couple of weeks, last couple of weeks we've said, what would it mean to be like Jesus, the life of Jesus made manifest by our not worry, but trusting in our God and his goodness and our heavenly father who knows and sees, who is, you remember, perfectly wise, lovingly good and infinitely able so that we would not worry, but that we could Look to him in all things. This morning, we want to look at this word. Maturing as Christ followers who are content. 
Contentment is a reflection of maturity. Think of a little kid, and you often think, they're not content. Well, they're content until what? Until they see something that some other little kid has, and then they're not content anymore. Now, what you recognize when I say that is we're all just big little kids often, right? We're content until we see what somebody else has that we don't have, and we're not content anymore. So maturity is reflected in contentment. And contentment in the New Testament is addressed in four different passages. We're going to look at all four. Four passages. Hebrews 13 is where we'll start. 1 Timothy 6, Philippians 4, and 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Contentment. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor I forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So when the writer of Hebrews speaks about contentment, he is saying, be content or be satisfied This is what the word contentment means, to be satisfied with what I have. Contentment. I'm satisfied with what I have, which is not natural. I always want what I don't have. Contentment is being satisfied with what I have. And the scripture Almost always, in all the places it speaks to contentment, it almost always has to deal with the same topic. What did Hebrews 13 5? Be content, and what did it, what was in context of? Money. First Timothy 6 says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, when accompanied by being satisfied with what I have. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content, satisfied with what I have. But those who want to get rich, those who aren't satisfied with what they have, they want to get rich, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. See, I just want you to pause right there. Contentment, being satisfied with what I have is a mark of maturity. But does it really, really matter if you're content or not? So what the, I think what this passage, in case you missed it, just kind of got lost in all the words, in case you missed it, a lack of contentment will put you on a path that will inevitably lead to destruction. Those who, uh, be content. Why? Those who want to get rich, those who are not content, satisfied with what they have, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Do you see, discontentment is a seed that will often send us down a path that will result in destruction. Relational destruction? Sometimes financial destruction, the very thing that you're looking for is what you end up wrecking, but one step further. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it, not being satisfied with what they have, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I guess I'm trying to help you understand that what I need to recognize about my own heart is this. Contentment is just not a, hey, that'd be a great thing to have in your life. Wouldn't that be nice to be content? 
Contentment is essential because the lack of it sends me down a destructive path. Relationally, financially, and even what? Spiritually. Lack of contentment not addressed in this room will cause some of you to walk away from your faith. That's what it says, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to scare. This is not scare tactic. This is the recognition that contentment when not addressed will always lead to wrecks, some sort of wreck in my family, in my life, in my spiritual life, my financial, a lack of contentment, which is almost always connected to money. The need for contentment often, three out of the four times in the New Testament when contentment is addressed, it deals with money, which is why, what did we talk about last week? <laughs> we talked about last week money and why we're talking about contentment today. Because recognizing that, like last week, I'm, a, I'm not an owner, I'm a manager. If, I, if I'm not content with what God has given me to manage, it's most likely going to produce a wreck of some kind, some sort of destruction in my life. But it's not only about money. We can be in need of contentment in other things. Could extend to our health. We'll look at that in the example of the Apostle Paul. Health or position or even dying. In other words, you could look at your health and then look at those your age and look at their situation and go, Lord, so frustrated about where I am in comparison to where other people are health-wise or position. You may look at the people at your work and go, I, I feel like I'm just as smart as them. I think I work just as hard as they, and yet I feel like I'm getting like ripped off. Discontent with your position at work. I put dying here because more and more I find, and maybe this is just stage in my own life, more and more folks who will say, I'm not afraid of dying, I'm, but I'm a little concerned about how I'll die. Meaning what? I'm not afraid of what death will bring. I am afraid, though, of how that path, that journey is going to go. That's because some of us have watched our parents or friends walk some really hard, painful paths and thought, oh, Lord, please. You know I thought this? Oh, Lord, please. I want to be able to kind of go full throttle and then done. Not, not the slow fade. Or some of you have seen people like out of nowhere seem like then, and you're like, oh Lord, I need some preparation, some warning. So, not afraid of dying, just of how it might go down. Now, this is no, by way, no means uh, uh, an exhaustive list. In fact, I'm gonna give you some quiet moments to think where might contentment be needed in your life outside of money, health, position, or dying? Where, you, where might you be in need of contentment? Maybe right now or as part of your journey, you know, oh, I've been discontent in this. Go ahead, take, take a few moments and begin to think through for yourself. Where do I need to be content? Just jot some thoughts down.
All right, here's some things I've listed that maybe you've thought about for you. Content with the abilities the Lord's given you. Ever looked at other folks and went, I wish I had those abilities. Maybe they were relational skills or maybe they were physical skills. You've looked and went, Lord, I felt like I got like the, it was the end of the day on the ability day. Or the intellect. Some people just process things faster. They understand things. And you look and you go, wish I could do that. Lack of contentment in the intellect. In the church, I think there's always forms of discontentment when it comes to spiritual gifting. Scripture says he gives different gifts, different levels of impact, and we can be discontent. Discontent with the family the Lord gave you? Maybe you grew up looking at other families and went, why my family? Or your relationships, your marriage, compare your marriage with other marriages. Seems like everybody else has a little bit easier than you do. Maybe where God has placed you, literally physical location. Discontent. I never really thought about this until I did a wedding in Cadillac, Michigan in March. (laughs) And Lily, I met people who were like, I just can't, we haven't seen the sun in six months. And I remember my my friend Tom who was with me for that wedding, he was like, well, you know, y'all can leave if you want. (laughs) They haven't like closed the borders. But almost every, oh, we just hate where we live. But uh, in others, he, he, he made it seem like, we'll just leave. And they're like, yeah, it's not that, quite that simple. For some, maybe, but just don't like where the Lord has you. Some of you may be in Jacksonville. And like, I don't like where the Lord has me, location-wise. That might seem silly to... Uh, appearance lots of discontent when it comes to appearance or what we see more and more in our present day a lack of contentment with gender you may go I don't understand that well not ask if you understand it you do understand that there are folks who live with genuine discontent with the gender they are. And they feel about their gender the way you feel about maybe your intellect or your ability or your appearance. It's like, just don't like. I'm not satisfied with the gender I am. And if that, if that doesn't help you see, as we've watched people dissatisfied with their gender go down a path often leads to such destruction. I hope you're capturing why we're given a whole morning to look at the scripture of saying contentment in my life really matters. Whether you think it's big stuff or small stuff, learning to be content matters. And that statement is maybe the most true thing I've said thus far. Uh, It has to be learned. Contentment must be learned. It's not just going to 
automatically happen in your life, okay? It's not just gonna, your discontentment isn't gonna just disappear one day. There must be a, a specific pathway of learning contentment for us to mature in this area in our life. And so, again, wherever you related to in this list, or maybe you put some other things that I didn't put that that you would wrestle with. If you're going to move from discontentment, I'm just gonna wait till those things don't matter to me anymore. Well, guess what? Once those things don't matter to you anymore, what, what something else will. Because contentment is something that is cross-sectional. It's an issue. Once I learn it, I can apply it to every aspect of my life. And until I learn it, it will infect every aspect of my life. So how do I learn to be content? I want you to take your Bible If you have a physical copy, this will be easier. And I just want you to put your fingers between Philippians 4 and 2 Corinthians 12. Because those are the primary passages we're going to rotate back and forth in this learning to be content. Philippians 4 and 2 Corinthians 12. We'll start in 2 Corinthians 12 of learning this. Paul says, I learned to be content in Philippians 4. I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So how did he learn that? In 2 Corinthians 12 and Philippians 4 are both, and here's what I love about them. They're just not, in fact, you're gonna go, there's not real statements here. There's testimonies. That's what I, I, I learn a lot from testimonies. In other words, Paul is speaking from real life examples one monetary and one health-wise, where he is addressing how he learned contentment in that area in his life. So, what's the pathway for learning contentment? Let's start first in 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing, verse seven, sorry. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. All right, pause before we read on here. What Paul is simply saying is he has been given, he recognizes a spiritual level of responsibility and privilege and impact beyond most. We know that. I mean, the Lord used the man to write most of the New Testament and like launch the gospel to the world. What a, what a stewardship. That's phenomenal. But he says in that process... He has a thorn in the flesh. Now, this is not hard to understand. When you have a thorn in the flesh, what do you want to do with it? Get it out. And he he says, I have this, and he seems to understand it's to keep him from getting the big head. Like, I'm the man for all time for the gospel. So this thorn is to keep him humble, but he wants what we all want with a thorn. He wants it out. And so what's he do? What's the next verse say? Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now you would think, man, when the apostle Paul prays for something be gone, that it would be gone. Three times. Thorn in the flesh, Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. That's a crucial line. We'll come back to it a lot. Most gladly, here's his now personal testimonial conclusion. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses, the very thing he was saying, what? Be gone about, 
so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Uh, Therefore, I am well content. What? I'm satisfied with what I have. Content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. See, this is not theoretical stuff. This is real stuff. I'm content with the real stuff that's hard in my life. I'm content with the stuff that I wish was out of my life, right? See, can you think, what do you wish was out of your life? We all have it. Wish this was out of my life. He says, I'm satisfied with what I have. Content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Here, here's something we've, we define contentment as satisfied with what I have because what I have, and this is, the, this is a very unique distinction about Christian contentment. Paul concludes, I've learned contentment because I've learned what I have is God's choosing. Don't, don't run over that. What I have and what I don't have is according to God's choosing. I ask him, and I ask him, and I ask him, and he chose to say no. So what I have and what I don't have is God's choosing. What am I saying? There is is contentment that I could talk to about anybody on the street and define it as being satisfied with what you have. But if I'm talking to a a Christ follower, one who believes what the scripture declares, I'm saying contentment is being satisfied in God's choosing for what I have and what I don't have. Being satisfied in God, that's Christian contentment. Being satisfied in God's choosing. When our second son, Will, was young, he learned very early, not fair. When things happen, not not fair. And you know what? When a kid says not fair, just agree with them. Not fair. Not fair. I I agree. And you know what? What are they supposed to do do with that? Not fair. I watched him with his little girl came in. His little girl came in to him about a year ago. Daddy, so-and-so hit me. And he said, okay. And she looked at him like, what do you mean okay? You're like supposed to do something about that. He just said, okay. She stood there and then she walked away. (laughs) Not fair. Is it fair that what you have in your life is God's choosing? Is it fair that what you have in life is, or don't have in life is God's Is that fair? See, to, to, you're looking, I don't know. Is it fair? To those who cry out, not fair. That's what Romans 9 is addressing. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God, the thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Will it? Yes, it does all the time. That's what you do all the time. Why'd you do this, Lord? Have you never said that? Why'd you do this? Not fair. I don't like this. Why would you take this person right now in my life? Why would you not give me that job? Why would you give me this sickness? Why wouldn't you heal me? Why didn't you heal them? We ask that all the time. Why? Why? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay 
to make the same lump one vessel to, to make from the same lump of clay one vessel for honorable use and another for common use. Ugh. Ugh. Does the potter have that right? Yeah. See, the, the secret to contentment is learning this. Watch. I'm content with God's choosing. Because why? Because that's his sovereign right to do so. I'm satisfied with God's choosing because what I have in my life is God's choosing and it actually is his right to choose. But I don't like it. Is it his right? Is it? Yes. See, learning to be content in this path, walking down this pathway is, yes, what I have and what I don't have is God's choosing and it is his sovereign right. And we just don't really like to think of God like this. What do you mean he's the potter and I'm clay and he can do with me whatever he wants? What do you mean by that? Exactly what it says. As the potter, he gets to do what he chooses, what he wills with with clay. You see, what, what if, can I have your eyes here? What if each of you got to the place where you went, hmm, Lord, you can make me common clay, common clay. Oh, I want to be like extra rich clay. Extra smart clay. Extra personality clay. I want to be special. Because that's what everything, you're special. You are special. Common special. Can God make you common? See, that, that, no, I don't. I, not, not fair. If he makes me common, he should make everybody common. I'm pushing against something here. that we kind of agree with until we're common and somebody else is extra common and then we're like, okay, no, I actually don't like this anymore. But a fundamental place for me in my own heart to be able to learn contentment is to say what I have and what I don't have is God's choosing and that's his right. Is he uncaring in that right? No, watch. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I, I don't want to be thorn in the flesh, Clay. Take it out. Take the thorn out. Take the thorn out. No, I'm choosing not to, which is my right. But I am meeting you with sufficient grace in my choosing. That's critical. Did you hear that? What is in my life and what not, is not in my life is according to God's choosing. And that is his right. But with that right, what does he also give? Sufficient grace for his choosing. See, I have what is God's choosing, and I don't have according to God's choosing, which is his right. He is the potter. I'm the clay. And he promises, though, with whatever he chooses, sufficient grace. We heard that story as it related to Paul's thorn in the flesh, probably some sort of health issue. We don't know for sure, but probably. Here is how he applies it financially by his testimony. I've learned, he said in Philippians 4, if you flip to there where you have your finger, he says in Philippians 4 now, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And now he's moving from a health situation to a financial situation. 
I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every financial circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And what is the secret that he has learned? What? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, when I have abundance, his grace will be sufficient. And when I have a little, his grace will be sufficient. When I'm filled, his grace will be sufficient. And when I lack, his grace will be sufficient. See, folks, this is why I hate, quite frankly, when football players put this on their face. Philippians 4.13, I apologize, Tim Tebow, great guy, but I never liked Philippians 4.13 on his face for this simple reason. He never quoted it after he lost. And the whole point of the verse verse is what? (laughs) In all circumstances, in winning and in losing, in poverty and in abundance, I can do. I can honor Christ. I can display the grace of Christ, the power of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the love of Christ, the life of Jesus in my body in whatever circumstances. Why? Because his grace is sufficient. Are you, are you tracking? You see, What happens is this, when he chooses, it's his right, but what does he always give? His grace. Why does he give his grace in whatever the circumstance? To display his glory. To display, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, the grace in his choosing, (coughs) excuse me, the grace in his choosing is the display, (coughs) the display of his glory. (coughs) Sorry. Do you get more now what he's saying? I'm well content with weaknesses. Why? Because <laughs> in weaknesses, his glory is revealed. In insults, his glory is revealed. In distresses, his glory is revealed. In persecutions and difficulties, his glory is revealed. Why? For when I am weak, when I'm in those things and he shows himself strong, then people don't look at me and go, wow, they look at the Christ who's sufficient grace and whatever God chooses is great. And you know what? Don't miss this. Hey, important transition right here. Don't miss this. And when the, the glory of God is displayed in your life and in my life, you know what's happening? I am fulfilling the reason for which I've been created. Do you follow that? I have been created, redeemed, to display the glory of God. Now walk it backwards. I've been created to display his glory. And when is his glory displayed? When his grace is made known and my weakness. So he gives me his grace according to his sovereign right to choose. See, when Paul writes, and maybe you'll remember this from Carfish, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. See, all that he has done, his choosing in you, his choosing of you, and every choice, are you with me? Every choice along the way, from the very first choice of choosing you, and every choice along the way has been for the purpose of the display of his glory and the glory of his 
grace. And when does his grace get revealed? Most clearly, usually, in things that we're trying to pray out of our life. The very thing that we are often discontent with has been placed there for the glory of God to be revealed there. So contentment becomes the pathway through which my created and redeemed purpose is fulfilled. He says it a second time, same chapter. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. See, the final, the pathway of learning contentment ends with this, I've been created and redeemed for this purpose of displaying his glory. Now, I'm not just making a list. I want you to, I want you to walk through the pathway with me. And keep it real. Paul, Paul kept it real. He talked about his health. He talked about his finances. Think about something that's in your life that you wish wasn't there. Okay, walk with me. How are you going to learn to be content there? It's there because of God's choosing. And it is his rightful place as potter to choose. And in that choosing, he gave you his sufficient grace so that in his grace, his glory would be revealed. And when his glory is revealed, you have fulfilled your created purpose. Now again, maybe, you, maybe that was too, too much theory. So Thursday night, individual shared. So often I look back with discontentment with the family the Lord gave me. This is what was shared. Who chose your family for you? Who chose your family? God did. Was it his rightful choice? Yes. When he chose it, did he give you sufficient grace for whatever your family? A drunken dad? Sufficient grace for a drunken dad? Sufficient grace for an absent mom? Sufficient grace for you being the only child? Sufficient grace for that you were adopted because your natural parents didn't want you? Sufficient grace for that? Yes, see? Sufficient grace for the family that God chose according to his right. Why? So that his glory would be displayed in your life. And when his glory is displayed in your life, what's true? You are fulfilling your created purpose. What don't you have in life that you wish you would? I wish I was married. <laughs> I wish I could have a child. The ability to conceive is God's choosing. Is that his rightful choice? Yes, it's his rightful cho choice. Uh, I'd like to be this piece of clay, but I, I'm whatever piece of clay he chooses. He's the potter. Will you give me sufficient grace even without being able to give birth? Yeah, why? To display his glory. And his, when his glory is displayed, I fulfilled my created purpose. It's not just, the, it's not theoretical. It's real. And, and this is why 
Contentment, friends, is such a maturity issue because where there's contentment, we, whatever our circumstance, where there's contentment, the glory of God is being revealed and therefore my purpose is being fulfilled. So let me say again, sometimes it's the very things that I most wish weren't true that become the greatest display of God's grace and therefore God's glory in my life. So I've learned contentment. You tracking? And I don't mean just mentally. I need you to track mentally, but I mean, is your heart and your life, your journey tracking towards, I learned to be content. Each year at the end, uh, last couple of years, I've sent you this from Matthew Henry. His New Year's resolution, this was for 1701. He says, and I'm going to work through it backwards. He finishes his resolution by saying, whether it shall be my dying year, no, I know not. But it is my earnest expectation and hope that the Lord Jesus Christ be magnified in my body. Whether it be by, and the list, list, life or death, health, sickness, plenty or poverty. Welcome, welcome the will of God. How can a person say that? Well, because he wrote that, he wrote this. I commit my soul and all the concerns of my spiritual state to the, to the grace of God. He can say, welcome, welcome, because what's he believe in? The grace of God. <laughs> How can he say, I commit my soul and all the concerns of my spiritual state to the grace of God? Because he starts with this being more and more confirmed in my belief of the being and the attributes of God. I ran through that real quick. But do you understand what I'm saying? It all starts with, do I believe God has the right to choose? Yes. And do I believe then in his right to choose, he will also give me his grace. If so, I can welcome the will of God, whatever it be. Contentment, not passive resignation to whatever. Did you hear that? Contentment is not passive resignation to whatever. Contentment is active welcome to God's choosing in my life. because I believe in his grace. So the guys are gonna come and they're gonna pass the elements that remind us of the grace of God to meet us in our greatest need and if in our greatest need, the grace of God to meet us in our every need, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. As the men pass, you're gonna pass a tray of a unleavened cracker. It's to remind us of the body of Christ. A tray of cup. Reminding us of the blood of Jesus. <clears throat> These remind us and our greatest need was for someone to do for ourselves, that we, for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And Jesus, by his body broken on our behalf, his blood shed on our behalf, met our need to be redeemed. In doing so, it is the reminder that his grace will be sufficient for whatever your need is. Remember his great grace as the guys pass.
Nothing better than Jesus. Why? Because he's the God of the mountain, abundance, and the God of the valley when I lack. Does he know your weaknesses, your failures? Hide them? No. Why? (laughs) They're the display of his grace in your life. Your lack, the display of his grace. Your weakness, display of his strength. Your need, the display of his grace. So maybe you would, the quietness of this moment is before we take, you would say, welcome, welcome, your will, whatever it be. Did you tell him that? I believe in your in your sovereignty, your right to choose. I trust in your sufficient grace. So welcome, welcome your will, whatever it be. You'll be all I need, demonstrated by the reminder of these elements of being my sufficient savior. Let's take together. I want us to consider one last text real quickly. I want us to consider the gift of contentment is, I told you when we started the year in John 21 with the take a walk talk with Jesus that, that we would come back to the rest of this conversation. We're going to do this real quickly. <clears throat> Peter is, <clears throat> this is after the cross, what we just remembered in taking the elements. This is the resurrected Jesus talking with Peter. And he says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish, but when you grow old, 
You're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. This he said, signifying, but what kind of death he would glorify God. So he tells Peter in this resurrection appearance, there's going to be a point where people are going to, going to do to you what you don't want. They're going to take your life. Most of you know that church tradition says that Peter was crucified like his Savior, but upside down. And he says to him, follow me. <laughs> Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him and the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? Who's he talking about? He turns around and he looks at, at the other apostle, John. And Peter seeing him, Lord, what about this man? Are they going to stretch his arms out and do this stuff to him that he doesn't want? What's he doing? He's going, ah, Lord. If that's going to happen to me, is that going to happen to him? Because if not, not fair. Why would I follow you and that happen to me and him follow you and that not happen to me? Well, why should I die like that and then not to him? And why does he get to be called the, the one you love, by the way? I don't really like that. You know what? <laughs> if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? What's that to you? See, uh, Peter had about seven guys to compare himself to, and he picked one. And we have a whole world now open to us that we carry around in our pocket that we compare ourselves to. We scroll and we compare ourselves to every other marriage, every other family, every other house, every other car, every other vacation, and we go, hey, hey, hey. Why do they get to go on vacation like that? Why does their husband bring them flowers? And why do they get all those grandkids? Contentment does what? Protects me from comparison. See, with a great gift of contentment, there is great reward in the maturity of contentment because comparison will just flat rob you of life. Some of you have known the darkness of scrolling in comparison. I'll give you a new phrase to say. Straight from the mouth of Jesus as you scroll. And you pause and go, ah. Oh. Just say, what's that to you? What is that to you? What is that to you? What is, because Jesus says, what's that to you? And then what's he say? You follow me. In other words, my choosing for you is for You. And I exercise my right for you personally. And because if I chose what I chose for you, my grace will be sufficient for you. Go back and look at it. My grace is sufficient for you. His choosing comes with, his choosing for you comes with grace for, for you. Not for all that stuff. So that my glory will be displayed through you and you will fulfill your created purpose. See, the gift of contentment is it protects me from comparison. And it frees me to walk with Jesus personally. Can we do the walk one more time? Then you're gonna be dismissed, okay? No closing song today. <laughs> Let's do the walk one more time. What's in your life and not in your life there? It's according to God's choosing. Does he get to choose? Yes, according to his sovereignty, that's his right. With his choosing will always come his grace for, for you. Why? So that his glory will be displayed through you.
And when his light, grace is displayed through you, then you will fulfill your created purpose. Married or single, kids or no kids, widow or married for 60 years. Rich or barely getting by. Cancer or no cancer. Welcome, welcome, the will of God, whatever it be, because his grace will be sufficient for me. May we grow up into contentment to the glory of God. God bless. You're dismissed.